moment. Because um, of the passage today and the July 4th weekend, I want to take a minute, and a few minutes, and pray for our nation and our city. But also, in your bulletin, every week, on the right-hand side, the bottom, there's a list of things to pray for. Um, this usually includes a church, and you can look up the information and pray for that church. There's a need in our world, and usually something that's um, taking place here related directly to the church. So I want to pray for those as well. But from 1 Timothy, it says, First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all people be saved and to come to knowledge of truth. Interesting that our prayers on behalf of those who lead us in our nation actually are connected with God's word going out and his uh, success of his word. So let's take a moment and let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I, I want to thank you for gathering us this morning and that we can use our voices and we can declare the truth about who you are. And um, as Janice was saying, that you are our master and, and we come um, as just before you and you welcome us and we thank you for that. Pray for Derek and his, his leading of the International Kids Camp starting today. We pray for um, your word to be able to go to the nations through these refugee kids and give them strength and success in their busy week and um, just um, guard over them, encourage their hearts in their, in their hard work. Pray for the Journey Evangelical Free Church and for uh, Pastor Jim and as, as they um, impact this city um, up in that northeast side of town. Um, ask that you encourage his heart even this morning. I pray at that church as they raise up your voices that we do it with them. Um, enlarge their borders. Thank you for their new staff there and just to bring them all together in good ways. And we pray for our world, Lord, and there is such um, crises um, so many places. And for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are um, suffering in horrendous ways even today um, just for knowing you and wanting to follow you. And we don't even know how to pray about those things. Um, but we think that your spirit is with them and that you know um, and your tears are for them um, that you gather their prayers up in bowls and pour them out as an offering and um, strengthen them and encourage them in the faith. We pray for our nation and our leaders, and we would ask, um, as you've told us in your word, that you would work through them as you have ordained them, those who are over us you have, you have placed there, that you as a sovereign God can direct the hearts of men, and so we would offer them up to you, um, both in our nation and also in this state and also in this city. We would ask that this city here, Tucson, Lord, um, through the work of your word and the work of the spirit would become a place that's known for you and a place that uh, people's lives are impacted day to day because your children have um, taken up responsibility to serve well. Um, and we would ask that you would work through the leadership here as well, that it would um, tie in with the way you work your kingdom principles out to carry out your way. Help us to be faithful in people that pray for our leaders and then do your work in the midst of that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Go ahead and turn to the book of Micah, way near the back of your Old Testament. We just started it last week and just did a quick um, overview. If you remember, it's a prophecy given to the southern kingdom um, around 730 B.C. And um, it prophesied the destruction of the northern kingdom, which actually happened just a few years after this prophecy was made. It also prophesied the eventual ruin of the southern kingdom, uh, Nebuchadnezzar destroying it, the destruction of the temple, which would happen later on, um, and then God's ongoing redemptive work in a remnant of people that he was going to do a work in. And we're going to see all that as we go through this book over the course of this summer. Um, In that book, he was a contemporary of Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos. And as I said last week, in this book, we're going to see the whole gospel in there. Um, We're going to see the the, the truth that God still rules and reigns, no matter what we see taking place around us, and that God's word matters, and paying attention to his word matters as people of God. And we're going to see the beauty of his redemption, the beauty of his goodness in it as well. Um, If you get the book of Micah, we're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to do the whole chapter this morning. Um, actually go quicker than it sounds, but um, I think. Um, but Micah chapter 3. Um, this book, I w- um, it picks up some themes from chapter 2 about the fact that the leadership in the nation um, was failing in their responsibilities. And the Micah chapter 3 is a prophecy that God gave to Micah against three groups of leaders um, in the nation at that time. And in each part, there is a rebuke of what they were doing, of their sin, And then there is a declaration of judgment that's coming upon them because of it. Um, And in the middle, we're going to get a little uh, word from Micah about himself as a leader. And it's going to be a contrast to what we see in these other people. Next week, Micah chapter 4 is actually then going to, which my original plan was to do 3 and 4 together, which would have felt way better this morning. But we're not. Chapter 4 is next week. It's the second half of this. Because God says, after all this stuff that we're going to read about in chapter 3, then God turns around and goes, guess what? I'm going to do something. And he talks about the great work he does as far as um, raising up a nation that has crumbled because of the leadership, what God's going to do in the midst of that. And it's good news. It's good news. And so the good news is next week, okay? Um, So just so we all got that. Um, So um, if you're not here, read it. Otherwise, you'll be, it's it's a rough one. Chapter 3 is a rough a rough passage. The key word in this passage is, is justice. And um, as the, the section is broken up according to these three different leadership groups, he uses the word justice in verse 1, verse 8, and verse 9 in, in regards to each of these groups. And that's um, interesting that he uses that as his key word because we all know the familiar verses at the end of Micah that we're called to do what? To, to act justly, right? To, to live j- lives of justice. And that's what's being brought against uh, these groups here. Um, they had... Um, twisted justice to their own ends, as we will see. So three groups, and I'll pick up the first one here. The first group he speaks to are the judges and the courts of the days of Micah. And their uh, sin was they had taken justice and they distorted it. They distorted justice. Let me read this, and you can, you probably won't be able to see it up here very well, but I'll read the verses, verses one through four. These are hard verses. You, if you, Whenever you think about the minor prophets, that they're kind of like, Wow, they're kind of gritty. This is gritty. So this is, uh, this is where he goes. Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, I, I said, Here, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? In other words, they were supposed to know what justice was. You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their fresh flesh from off their bones, 
who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot and like flesh in a cauldron. And then those people, talking about the judges, will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Yikes. <laughs> um, pretty, pretty rough language. The rebuke, these are the, uh, this particular section here is talking about the judges. They would sit in the gates, and they would make decisions on behalf of the people, uh, primarily decisions of law and, um, and property and um, issues of justice. And the people would come with their issues. They would sit in the gates. They would discuss it. They would pronounce judgments. Um, and, and we're supposed to maintain a society that, um, that punished the ungodly, and that took care of those who were innocent. Um, the rebuke that Micah gives to him, that God gives through Micah, um, was that they had sat in the gates and they kn- were making decisions, and they were supposed to know justice, but they were doing the very opposite of it. They had taken it completely distorted it. They didn't just do a poor job of it, like they made a bad decision, they're trying their best, they made a bad decision, which we all do. It wasn't that they made bad decisions, they were purposefully making wrong decisions. They were enacting injustice intentionally in the midst of these people. It says here that they hated the good instead of guarded the good. Rather than um, they had twisted justice, it says here we actually discover in chapter 2 that they're actually um, taking possessions from people using their illegal means to do it. They enacted laws so that they could take things that people owned and, and take them from them. Um, they were taking, um, making decisions in chapter 2, we discover that they're taking the inheritance from children, and not just like a, a big tax out of it, but they're taking all of it. And so the, the children of these parents had no means to live. And so they were, they were taking the future away from the people by their decisions. It describes them like, like cannibals is what he does. Um, it's like they come there and they need someone to do justice. We're being, we're being mistreated. And rather than embracing them and making sure they're cared for, he describes them as actually taking them and just cutting them up and flaying them piece by piece and cooking them in a pot um, in front of the people. And so there was no justice being done, and those who were supposed to be protected were actually being abused and maligned and misused, and the judges were becoming rich in the midst of doing that um, on their behalf. The Old Testament um, evidence later on, and the, when um, Israel is told why they are thrown into exile, we discover that they basically sold justice for a price. And so you come, you slip them some money, and you get what you want. You want these poor farmers off your field because you want to turn into something else, even though it's, they, bo- they own a part of it, pay the justice, kick them off, and they're gone, and they're impoverished. And the, the, the owner, would, the guy would take over the property, and on and on it went. Um, crimes were being committed, and the criminals were going free. The innocent were being punished over and over and over again. And God had a very um, vivid description of what they were doing to people. It's like they're living off the flesh of the people. They're soaking them for everything that they had. And so there's this rebuke against them from God. The judgment, interesting enough, when people came and cried to them for mercy, they gave them none. 
And it says there will come a time when these very judges will cry out for mercy to God. And it says that God will turn his face, it says there in the passage, from them. It says he will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Um, When they needed to see the face of God on their behalf, um, it says that God's face would be hidden from them and they would not receive mercy. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt it. Um, I don't think it's um, God's presence is with us, but there have been times when I felt like God's face has turned away. Um, just that sense that he's not there. He's not there for me. Um, it's horrible, even though it wasn't even true. He was there. Um, and he says here he will specifically turn his face away from these people. It's a, great, it's a horrible judgment upon them. The second group of people that Micah talks to are the prophets, which we actually discover later on in this section, includes the priests, the, the prophets and priests. So we have this, the court system, and then we have the religious system, the prophets and the priests. And they were distorting the word of God. This is verses 5 through 7. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. What's a good shepherd supposed to do? We were just honoring Mike. Why? Walks with people, trying to trust the spirit, help people walk in the right direction. It says here, these prophets and the priests as well were leading people astray, like a shepherd who led this sheep to the slaughter rather than a place of pasture. They cry peace when they have something to eat, but they declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and diviners shall be put to shame, and they shall all cover their lips, for there will be no answer from God. The rebuke here is rather than the prophets and priests pointing the way to God and his word and speaking for him, they were leading people astray. Um, that's the group, right, that we should trust the most, isn't it? That's the group that we should be able to go to and go, even if they get it wrong, they're, they're really trying. They're really trying to walk with us. They trust them. And that's the group that people went to, and they intentionally would lead astray and give them false false teachings. They wanted to rely on them for discernment and trust them, and they did not get that. And it says here that they were in it for financial gain. So when, when, they, when they got something to eat, in other words, when they got paid for their service, they would say, you're going to have peace, and they'd prophesy peace for the people. And when they didn't get anything, money, they would prophesy war against them. So it's like what we heard before, the Guys would come to the king and say, should we go up? And, and the, some of the prophets would go, yeah, go. God's in it. They had, he wasn't in it, but they got paid for it. And so they would, they would speak what the person wanted them to speak because they got money for it. There was just no other thing there, just because of financial gain. Although God's law had put in place that these were to be cared for, um, this was something very, very, very different. Interesting, the, the prophets here and the priests were not being silent. In other words, they're not withholding. They were speaking, but what they were speaking was falsehood. There's an implication in the rest of this text, and actually later on in the book of, um, of Jeremiah, the implication is that these were, these were genuine prophets, and they actually knew the truth. In other words, the, the Spirit was actually speaking to them what to say. They, were, they had that gift, and they were choosing not to say it. And they're saying the opposite. And so it's one thing we don't know. It's another thing when God says, Chris, say this. And I go, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say the opposite. And that's what was taking place for the prophets and the priests here. They spoke falsehood. And they diminished truth um, for a price. 
Um, I'm not going to go down this path because I'd probably get myself in trouble. And there's, there's no clear lines about money and ministry. You know, we're cared for well here at the church, and we, we, we delight in it. Um, but I have, um, I've been in two different churches where issues of money and leadership got the church in trouble. Um, leaders who um, mishandled church money for their own purposes. Um, there's, um, you can look at, it's online, it shows you what certain pastors and religious leaders make in organizations. There is um, leaders out there making millions um, and these, you know, 10, 10 bathroom homes. And I, I don't know if that's a right and wrong thing. I, I'm not sure we could say that. But I'll tell you, when you have all that, um, having grown up with a great deal, it touches your heart in some ways um, if we are not really careful. Um, it's, the scriptures speak all sorts of warnings about it. And when, when, you, when a person has so much and we want to maintain that, it impacts what we say. Um, we want to maintain the institution, maintain what's providing, and it's a dangerous place to go. So all I'd say is money and ministry, we have to be very, very careful when it's talking about those who lead um, because it's just a really dangerous place to be. And I think in our country, a lot of it happens. And there's, a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of bad things that happen on behalf of the church because of it. The judgment that God gives here against these prophets and priests, the religious leaders who knew better, is that when they says when they need insight from God, you know what they're going to get? It says darkness comes over. They have no insight. I need, in, I need discernment. I need insight. And they can't get it. All they can get is their own thoughts, and they know that's all they have, and it's not enough. Um, it says here that um, the sun will go down on them. Um, and it actually says that they're going to cover their lips because they're going to want to speak because they're supposed to, and they'll have nothing to say because they have nothing from God, and they know that anything they say, it's just them, and everybody's going to know it. And so God withholds his word from them in judgment over them. They won't have his favor or his presence. Um, the judges and the prophets and priests are not going to have his word or his voice. Interesting, in Lamentations chapter 4, verse 13, talking about why the nation was exiled, tells us that the prophets, um, it was for the iniquity of the prophets and priests that the nation was defeated. They were supposed to know better, and they had led the nation down a bad path, the religious leaders, and we see that even Jesus' day had continued on. Third group is the governing authorities or the politicians or the rulers it talks about. Actually, in this passage, as we, as we read this, it'll sound similar to the first group, but when you start dissecting it and look elsewhere, it's specifically speaking to the government authorities or the rulers. Chapter verse 9 from Micah 3. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money, and yet they lean on the Lord, and they say, God's in the midst of us. No disaster can come. Verse 12, therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. And Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house will become a wooded height. Um, the governing authorities, ruler, the rulers, their job in this nation at that time was to make sure that the judges were carrying out the law. 
and to make sure that the prophets and priests were carrying out their law. They each had distinct roles. And the, govern, the governing and ruler authorities, they were kind of the, the connecting point for the groups to make sure that it was all operating correctly and everything was connected and everything was going the right way. Instead, they worked in concert, it says here, with the religious leaders and with the, the courts to their own purposes. So the rulers just said, you guys aren't speaking the truth. You guys aren't carrying out justice. You're not following the laws that we put into place. Instead, they actually participated and actually worked in concert with them. The rebuke here is that they will be opposed. Um, It says they detested justice, most likely because if they had supported it, it would have revealed their own hearts. Um, We're not in the right place. It says that they'd made crooked everything that was straight, everything that God came. Remember, uh, John the Baptist came, and he's going to do what? Make straight the way of the Lord. The the rulers were, were intentionally twisting and making crooked all that was straight. They were building their own kingdom, and they're doing it with the blood of injustice, it says here, and they presumed that God was with them because they were God's people. The great crime here is that they worked in concert with the judges and religious leaders to abuse the nation to their own gain. And again here it talks about they did it for a price. The judgment on them, it says that everything that they were building, this kingdom, was going to be what? God was just going to level it. There was going to be nothing left. Um, Babylon would eventually come in just like a, like, a, uh, like a scoop, and it was just going to scoop all the people up and leave everything in ruin. So everything that they were working so hard to build up was going to come to ruin. The mountain, which was a sign of God being raised up in leadership over the nation, says it was going to be leveled. The great news of chapter 4 is going to talk about God building a mountain again. But it's going to be leveled down. There's being a scattering of the nation. And interesting, they weren't the only ones who suffered. The whole nation suffers. The whole nation suffers for what they did and put into exile. So the judges cry for mercy and God turns away. The prophets and priests cry out to hear a word from God and all they get is silence. And the rulers are going to seek order. And what they're going to get is chaos. Chaos is going to come upon them. This is hard stuff, isn't it? Um, we planned this message a couple months ago. So, verse chap- chapter 3, verse 8. Interesting, we have a contrast here. We have a godly leader. Right in the middle of this, Micah speaks up in verse 8. It says, As for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Right in the middle of this, Micah gets caught up, and he says there are words that come directly from God, and they're definitely not for his own gain, because nobody's going to want to hear what he has to say. And he tells us what it means to be a godly leader. It's one who's filled with the Spirit. One who's filled, it says here, with power. And by the way, um, being filled with power, it's an issue of truth. We're not in this hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. It's, it's, a, it's a battle of truth. He acts justly on behalf of God, and he's able to speak words of challenge and correction, even as his heart is broken over what's taking place. So we have this godly leader. And then I just want to mention that um, before I kind of give my take on this passage, um, Micah's message was responded to. Probably the only prophet that people listened to. They actually responded to this one. 
And there's two, two people that responded to it. The first one was in Micah's day, it was Hezekiah. He heard Micah's message, which was given directly to him. Hezekiah just started his reign. Hezekiah hears Micah's message. He is in brokenness and in repentance, and he responds. And the result is the nation is saved from judgment for a hundred-something years, a long time. Um, because Hezekiah, a ruler, responded to Micah's message. And then we discover about a hundred years later, we discover this in Jeremiah chapter 26. Jeremiah is given pretty much the same message Micah was giving, and they're going to kill him. And a governing authority stands up and says, don't you remember, Mike, this is message was given by Micah, and Hezekiah, the ruler, he listened, so don't do this thing. And actually, they spare Jeremiah's life because they respond and listen to Micah's message. I find it interesting that it wasn't the religious leaders that responded to Micah. It was the governing authorities. It was a king and some rulers that actually listened to him. Isaiah 26, verse 9 says this, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Interesting, when we, we look at this passage, like it's going, oh, God, don't. And yet it says here, when people look and they see God moving in the earth, even with judgment, it turns into righteousness or or they'd run away and, and shut it off altogether. But it says when the world looks, the heavens of the world see it, they learn righteousness. When we look at a passage like this, we're supposed to learn something. One of the things is righteousness for us. Jesus came, and every time he spoke, what did he say? Hear he who has ears to hear, hear it. Hear what I've got to say. So we have a tough passage here. Um, and it's relevant. So what would God have us here today? So let me give you the th- three easy answers first. Um, first one is servanthood. Um, the contrast here is leaders were in it for what's in it for me. And as leaders, whether it's your church leaders or leaders in government or anywhere else or wherever you might find yourself leading as people, is never supposed to be what's in it for me. It is never supposed to be about that. It is Especially leading in God's kingdom is a calling. He calls us into it. And it is never, ever to be what is in it for me. The minute those thoughts start coming, I'll tell you, it's, um, if, if anybody's led, you know that it, those thoughts show up. So why am I not getting this from it? And I tell you, it's trouble because it, it, it diverts us from what God's called us to. And he says it's, we're supposed to be servants of all. Scriptures say be imitators of God. And what did Jesus do? He came and he was servant of all. Janice was talking earlier just about um, God, the word using for God to be a master, and how we're often called as slaves of Christ. There's a reason for that. Um, we're to imitate him as servants. So I look at this and I'm going, we've got to be servants wherever we are. Second of all, humility and dependence. We're to embrace leadership with humility and the fear of God and a broken and independent spirit because in leadership you're held to a different accountability and different responsibility, and they had not done that here at all. There was no humility. There was no fear of God. There wasn't a broken or dependent spirit. It was self-motivated. James chapter 3 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. 
understanding our own neediness um, as leaders is essential to walking forward. Humility and dependence. And then thirdly, as we already said earlier this, this, uh, this morning, um, we should pray. Um, I'll just say, within the church, as the leadership goes, so goes the church. And if the leadership fails and wanders and crumbles and compromises, so does the church. And so that's why the scripture is so full of saying, pray for those who lead you. And whether it's our government or our nation or other churches here, um, we see people and leaders in churches in Tucson fail, and churches suffer over it. And so um, we have to pray. And remember, some of the worship leaders, we thought we need people praying for the worship leaders because they're on a battlefield as they lead worship, and we have to be in prayer for them. So pray for as our leadership goes, so goes um, the church. And lastly, one more sharing, and I'll, I'll close with this as we prepare um, this morning. This is a personal challenge that kind of as I was been working on this, um, what, what touched me in this? And so if I can, um, if I can give a personal opinion, is that, is that okay? Um, this morning I'm going to do that. Um, when I read this, or when I read anything, or when anybody's got a criticism, my, my tendency is always to look at somebody and point. And I don't do it, but I'm doing it inside here. So I'll hear this, and I'll go, oh, those bad leaders. <laughs> you know, these guys, what are they doing? Um, our tendency is always it's about them, this person, this group, what they did. And my, much of that's true. It's probably valid. Um, but I would encourage us this morning as we walk through this to say, Lord, look at my heart. What do you want to say to me? What do you want to shape within me as, as we walk through these things? Search me out, as the scriptures say, and see if there's any ways that are wicked within me and ways that I have wandered and steer me back along. When Micah prophesied, this prophecy was given to three groups of people that all knew the truth. They were part of God's nation, his kingdom. Um, God had put him there, the, the, the rulers, the prophets and the priests, and the judges. They were all religious people because they were part of a religious nation, and they all knew the truth. Um, when um, Jesus comes along, um, that wasn't the case anymore. Um, they were underneath a different government. And that government was a Roman government. And the Roman government knew nothing of that. And so it's interesting, when Jesus speaks, who does he speak against? Not that the Romans didn't have plenty of things that he could have spoken against. There's all sorts of stuff. It was a horrible. He spoke against the religious leaders because they knew. And they're the ones that he could effect if he could possibly do so. Interesting, in the book of Revelation, when John gets a, a revelation from God about all the things, and there's plenty of things God could have spoken against in the world at the time, what does he speak against? The churches. He lists seven churches, and he calls them to repent um, because they're his people. He says, you discover what you're supposed to be doing. You take a look at your heart in the midst of that. As I said, the Romans and the world doesn't know better. Um, even our leaders today, don't, many don't know the truth. In our day, we're called to pray for our leaders in government and courts, but the truth is that many or most don't know the truth. Um, we trust that God is going to work in them, and we're to pray on that behalf, and to, that God would do that. Um, they're not necessarily people of the word and the cross, but guess what? We are here this morning. All of us are. And we know what's true. 
And so when the world goes askew, which it has been doing for a long time, by the way, um, we should be looking here first. We should be looking here first. What might God speak to us? Interesting, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, and now this is, everybody's got different interpretations on this. Um, it says that the angels went there because the outcry of the land was great against them. We discover in a couple different passages that not only was it a place of immorality, but it says that they had um, misused the poor. They mistreated the poor, and they had grown fat and arrogant, it tells us. And that's why Ezekiel says they were destroyed. Um, but God, God goes in to see if what he had knew was true in that story. And if you know the story, he comes to Abraham, and he's, he's going to send the angels, and he's going to destroy the city because of this, this ongoing sin that, of this, this place. And Abraham has this interesting dialogue with God, with the, with the Lord, about uh, if there's 50 righteous people there, would you, would you spare it? And what's his answer? He says, yeah, I will. Um, and he gets all the way down to 10. There's just 10, and this is huge place. Just 10 people who could still have an influence, who still sought righteousness, who still honored God, and we're going to let him work through them. And God says, just 10, I'll spare all of them. Now, it says here that he destroyed it because of all this variety of things that were taking place there. But ultimately, um, I think it, it was destroyed because there was no righteous influence anymore. The, the influence that Lot was supposed to have as a, as a person who knew truth, we discover that later on in the scriptures, um, he had forsaken it. He, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't doing his job. And if he, had, if he had just impacted his family enough, they would have been saved, the whole city. And so I tend to think, anyways, that perhaps it was destroyed ultimately because of a lack of godly influence. And I believe when we hear a message like this from Micah that we should not have our first reaction to point fingers, whether it's the courts or the government or whatever else, because there's all sorts of things we can find wrong. It's not a problem. But rather, we should look at ourselves first, the church, his body here in this place. And I think as we look around at the church, we discover that we've accommodated to the world in many ways. We've embraced a materialistic heart. Um, we, me, we have absorbed culture rather than thoughtfully engaging it. And we have made this place home and thinking it's supposed to be home when we're actually citizens of a different kingdom. And we're here to make a difference, but not to put our roots in here. We're, the church is always supposed to be countercultural. It's always been that way. And when we're not, there's probably something we should be looking at. We've been more, become more about continuing our own institutions comfortably and without suffering, rather than entering the calling that God has put us into. And the end result of that, I think, is that the world suffers. The whole world suffers because of it. So when I thought about this thing, and read through this, my response was, um, Lord, make me faithful. Don't let me be faithless. And don't let me um, squander the, the calling to walk in a godly way in the midst of people's lives, demonstrating what Jesus looks like, um, and loving well, and serving sacrificially, being willing to suffer, and being a picture of Jesus. And my, my prayer is, God, don't let me fail to do that. Don't let us as a church fail to do that. When we let that work happen to us, we can, we can point our fingers and do a lot of other things. 
That work's got to happen first. We have got to be that kind of people. And we have got to come before the Lord and say, do in us whatever you've got to do to make us like yourself. That, to me, is the calling here as I read this. Um, and then we can stand before the Lord. I'm going to ask uh, Janice and the worship team if you would come forward. The Lord came here from heaven and uh, left the riches behind and took on our place for our behalf, which is why we have the communion every week. I'm remembering that he came um, to, to love and to walk well, but he came to suffer in this place and suffer faithfully and die on our behalf. Um, for what purpose? To make us his own and to shape us, and he wants to use us in this place in ways that make a difference um, in this world today. Um, um, if the, uh, the elders I talked to, you guys, if you guys could come up here, we're going to pass the communion this morning. We're going to pass our communion around. Um, when you get the bread, you can just tear it off and dip it in the cup and then hold it for the next person. It's just a way to serve each other. Um, if you don't want to participate this morning, just take it and pass it on to the next person. That is fine to do. Um, but let me pray over that, and then let's, um, let's, let's share in this together, and then we will sing as we do so. Lord, we would come to you as a body this morning. Um, thankful for what you've done in us. You have taken us from rebellion and you've turned uh, rebels into worshipers by the work of the cross. May we be like you in this world. Um, may we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking to our own hearts about where we have um, maybe sunk ourselves a little too deep into this world. Um, and we've uh, forgotten why we're here. So shape us as a church that we would just reflect you in all the good ways um, that we might carry out our responsibilities. We give you thanks for the bread and the cup, for the bread, your body, and the, your blood that was shed for us that changed everything. Um, and we just want to give you thanks for it as a church. So be raised up among us in Jesus' name. Amen.